0: Wow, well it's good to see everybody here. The sun is shining which is really nice. I like when the sun shines. <clears throat> have you ever felt discouraged or you know you didn't know what to do, you got a sort of a nagging doubt or you know you, you sort of, if only I had done this or if only I did that or I could have done or should have done or would have done or could have done or whatever. Have you ever had those kind of feelings and thoughts and you know, you know that's the time often <clears throat> when um, we've got to dig deep. And uh, usually when you're feeling like that, it's because the time of testing has just gone. You see, because you're saying, if I could have, should have, would have. So that's something, you're you're looking back. The thing about testing is that testing is a, a time of learning. And so the questions that often we ask ourselves, it's because we've just gone through something. And we're sort of questioning, you know, what could I have done better? What should I have done better? The thing is, testing is actually good and healthy. Because what it does is it makes you reflect. It makes you consider. It makes you change course. You can be going this way, and you consider what you've just gone through, and you think, you know what, maybe I should go this way instead. Let me try this angle. Let me try this road. Because this doesn't seem to have worked, or, you know, yeah, definitely I've learned something from that. Turn to Proverbs, because... uh, Proverbs, I love Proverbs because it's quite direct And um, it's very helpful <coughs> In Proverbs Proverbs 17 A great passage The <coughs> title of today's sermon is called Love Requires Change Love Requires Change <coughs> In Proverbs 17 and verse 3 it reads as follows. The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold. The Lord tests the heart. The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. You know, when you think about the crucible it's like a, a a heat resistant container that is used to melt metal on a furnace. And silver, the most brilliant of all metals, is commonly used in jewelry. If there's any jewelers here, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's used in coins. But it's highly ductile, and that means it's able to be molded or shaped without breaking easily, or to bend. It can be shaped into everything from teapots to, uh, you know, small ornamental figures, um, often ceramic or or, um, or metal. And silver can, be, can also be cast. And that makes it um, a solid object that's been poured out and moulded into um, a metal or a glass, a plastic. But the point that I'm actually making is that It can be used for something. It can be shaped into something. And just like gold, as I'm sure, sisters, you can vouch for this because you love gold. Um, The brothers, we love gold, but we see the money value, you know. We see the money in it, you know. But, you know, the earrings and all the different things. But joking aside, you know, we know what gold is used for. And we know the value of gold. And if you're into silver, silver's got a good price nowadays as well, but... The Lord is the one that tests the heart of men and women, and He does it, and does it according to His good will. Uh, testing is is healthy, and what often happens when we go through times of testing, I don't know if it's if it's only me, but sometimes you complain and grumble, and why did it happen to me, and this, that, and the other, and those thoughts and those emotions go into your heart and into your mind, and you. You question things. But really, the idea of testing is for us to change. And it's for us to be molded into something that's going to be effective. If you look in 1 John at the back, the back of the Bible, 1 John, not the gospel, 1 John. And uh, in 1 John chapter 2, And we read from verse 28. And it says, um, <clears throat> 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28, it says, And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. What we struggle with, and I've heard over and over again I think, over a period of time, we often don't get. And it's love. Love, love. Remember the Beatles, sound, the, the Beatles song, All You Need Is Love. It's often, that's the thing that we, we often don't get. That it's really all about loving one another. That God really loves us. God is Love. But we, we can't get our heads around it. And the reason is because we're quite selfish, really. <laughs> we sort of think of ourselves. And it's all about me, 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 and I, 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 and what I want and what I get. And if I get it, then I'm happy. And if I don't get it, well, then I'm not happy. and I'm not going to make you happy either, because I haven't got what I wanted. And therefore, you see how it all goes around in a circle? And so you see the world running around, <clears throat> and they're running around. They don't realize, actually, they're running around looking for God they're running around looking for something, as though that something is the answer. And often that something is a material thing. The latest car, the latest toy, the latest gadget, the biggest house, the smallest house, just any house, please. A flat. You live in London, if any of you lived in London, man, you can't even buy a cupboard now for a hundred thousand. But really, it's all about running around and people are trying to steer their lives so they can get things that funnily enough, they can't keep. Can you imagine? You've got 70 years or so on the the earth and you're running around trying to get something that you actually can't keep. (laughs) Doesn't that sound weird? You're running around, you'll even kill people to get what you want. The person you've just killed you're going to end up in the same place as him. And you still can't keep what you just said. I was just listening to the news on the way here. And, um, you know, when they burnt the Quran, some of the, the army, by accident, burnt the Quran. Well, I don't know if it was by accident, but whatever. Whether it was by accident or not. The fact is that they burnt some of the books. And um, the reprisal was that they've killed two army um, soldiers. <coughs> I'm not going to get into the politics of fighting and blah, blah, blah. But basically, what I'm showing you is, can you imagine, someone's burnt your book, so you're going to kill them. And you're going to end their life because they've burnt a book that you don't even obey. Isn't that crazy? When you think, thanks very much. Isn't that crazy? That you kill someone for burning a book that you yourself don't even obey? You've just taken away their life? And yet we live our lives day to day trying to hold on to something that we can't keep. Often we save up for our houses and we get our mortgages and we think, praise God, you know, I've got my mortgage and I've got my house. And we forget that the house is only a lease. And most of them are 99 year leases. In other words, the government's going to take it back unless you write it in a will. You know, Andy was sharing the other week, you find some gold coins in your garden, the Queen owns it, (laughs) Exactly. It's so crazy, we run around looking for all these things, and yet we miss the point. You know, in still staying in John, in John chapter three and verse one, and it says here one John chapter three, verse one it says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and that and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself, just as He is pure. (coughs) Um, God is trying to show us something. And it it is hard to sort of grasp it, but the idea really is that the fundamentals are simply, God loves us, let's love him back. Our children love us because we love them. They've learned how to love. Brothers and sisters, sometimes they don't... They don't love each other. They have squabbles, but it's still love because they forgive each other, and they go through their little, little bit of battles as siblings. You're driving down the down the motorway or driving to the shop, and they're arguing in the back of the of the car. But you know that they're going to make up <clears throat> because their love is deep. But often we don't really understand what love is. We have the emotions, we have the feelings, but we don't quite understand what love really is. And we're going to look a little bit at what love is um, later on. But for now, what I want us to consider is what he says right here, which is, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us. What do you mean he's lavished on us? He hasn't lavished any love on me. God hasn't given me nothing. What's he given me? Everything I've got, I've had myself. I'm the one that got it. And uh, often if you talk to people... They often um, don't acknowledge God as giving them anything or doing anything for them. And so they don't believe in him. What's interesting is we're walking around and we have our health and strength. Who gave us our health and who gave us the strength that we have? We have a brain that we're able to use. Who gave us that brain so that we could make decisions? We have hands... That can mold and make and break and do things. We have emotions. Who's given us those emotions so that we can connect and work together? So when we say God hasn't given me anything, he's given us life. He's given us life. Now, what we do with it, that's a different thing. Because that's what's causing a lot of the problems. God's given us something and we're kind of destroying what he's given us. And it's a little bit like someone making a painting... And then deciding, nah, put it in the bin. Makes another painting. This painting is brilliant. But then he puts it in the bin. And then he makes another painting, and he invites you to come and watch. And he says, oh, you know, I've just ripped up those paintings, and you're sort of looking at the paintings, and you can sort of see bits of the painting, thinking, "This, you've seen the bits, and you're thinking, thinking, it's, it's brilliant. Why is it? Was it? Was it cutting up all these?" He says, "Watch this." you'd be standing there thinking, what? This guy's nuts. He's nuts. He's ripped. You've seen the picture now. You've seen two in the bin. He's just ripped one up. And you're thinking, what is this guy on? Well, you see, God has made the world. And He's not destroying it. We are. We're destroying the world. See, when He made us, <clears throat> He made us so that we can enjoy the earth that we're in or on if you will and without going too deep into things the theological things and so, so and so forth the thing to understand is we're here and so we're here and we've got to make the most of it and he says how great the love of the, uh, the father has lavished on us I was walking my dog yesterday and uh, I walked back and ran the park let him off the lead, and all the other people are walking their dogs and whatever. Anyway, I was going, I was walking around the park, praying, and uh, I was just about to go towards the car. I was about 20 feet from the car, and this bloke had his dog, an Alsatian dog. And what happens is, if you if you if you if you haven't owned a dog, then you probably don't understand their thinking the way they. But if you've owned a dog, you'll understand how, how the dogs tick. So what they do is they sniff each other out, you see, and some they get on with, and some they don't. It's a bit like husbands and wives. You know, some they get on with and some they don't. And they smell you. And uh, if they like you, they're friends and they want to play. If they don't like the smell of you, they're like, you know what, I'm going to have a go at you. And then it's up to the other dog to sort of like, well, I I can stick up for myself, thank you very much. And they have a little bit of a banter and then they leave each other, you see. But if somebody doesn't really know their dog and they're scared for their dog, they make it worse. Because that insecurity the dog picks up on. And so the dog gets even more angry. So anyway, my dog's I ignore my dog with his silliness. And I just, you know, carry on walking. And if he starts to get too out of hand, I say Brack and be of yourself, and he'll stop you and he'll 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 follow me. But that's because he's figured out that he's you know what I mean? The only time I have to really constrain him is if he sees a motorbike. Ask me why, I couldn't tell you. But there's something about a motorbike, he loses the plot. He can't hear me anymore. His ears go like, and he's, all he's just totally loses it. But this bloke, anyway, this bloke starts ranting and raving at me because the two dogs are having a little bit of a squabble. And he starts shouting at me. So I said, Bracken, anyway. As I'm, I'm walking away, and I'm thinking, hold on a second, this do not make no sense to me. Let me walk back to this bloke. So anyway, I walk over to him, there's two of them walking, a mature bloke, he's probably about 60, probably about 50, anyway, he's old, he's about 50. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, so anyway, he, um, I say, excuse me, do you know me? And he says, no mate, I don't. I said, well, why are you speaking to me like that and you don't even know me? you should have told your dog to I said excuse me excuse me you don't need to be so rude if you want me to move my dog just be polite and he walked away his friend who was walking with him was totally embarrassed because he could see that I, did, I didn't lose my temper I was talking to him sensibly and they walked away and I could tell that they were talking and it looked as though his friend was probably telling him you know you should have been a bit more you know what I mean Well, if you imagine God, God looking down at us, and He sees how we're living. And God's looking down and thinking, what is wrong with these people? I've given them a lovely place to live, I've given them a nice so-and-so-and-so, and... and This person doesn't like this person because his nose is too big. This person doesn't like this person because he's too big. This one doesn't like him because of his color. This one doesn't like it. What is wrong with these people? And God looks down and thinks, that is not how I made you. That's not. Guys, don't you get it? And so how long have we been on earth and we still can't get it? All it takes is a decision for us as human beings to say, you know what? Enough is enough. Let's just love one another. But I'm not sure how. That's okay. The Bible shows us. There's the book right there. A couple of weeks ago, it's probably three weeks now, um, you've probably heard about it already. But on the TV, on the news, the council wanted to put on their list to pray. You heard about it. And the bloke who says, no, 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 you can't have any of that, took it to the courts and he won his case. And I was thinking to myself, how silly that we don't even really want to have the word prayer or even pray about something in our workplace. I don't know about you, but when you're at work, you need to pray. Because I tell you, some people are nut- nutty. They're totally nutty. You know, I went to, I work in some schools and I was working in a school last week. And um, basically this particular pupil has issues and uh, they called us in because I work with African Caribbean children and uh, anyway they called us in and they called us in um, and they wanted me to work with this particular child who they said was aggressive and confrontational and so on and so forth basically all that was lacking was love but to cut a long story short, in the system, the system is not built and made to be um, inclusive. Because what they have to do basically is they have to start afresh. And the government can't spend that amount of money to start afresh. So they cut corners and try to patch it and so and on so and so forth. So anyway, this particular kid has got problems. And uh, so I go in and I talk to the, to the head. the the deputy head and we work it out that I'm going to come in twice a week just to work with this pupil so I explained to them well I usually like to work as a triad so I like to work with the school with the parents and with the pupil so they were fine with that and I said before I take on the child I want to go and visit the parent and often when I go to the houses I usually pick up on what's going on so anyway I'm going to this house now expecting because I haven't met this child yet we've only signed the contracts and all this kind of stuff so I'm expecting this kid to be off the wall. And I'm expecting the parents to be, you know, ration, and, you know, why are you coming and and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, <laughs> knock the door. Oh, come in. <laughs> House is nice, done. I'll come in and I sit down and they look after me. Do I want a cup of tea and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, we start talking about it. and we start talking about their tr- the, their tr- the problem with the child. Not the problem with the child, sorry. With the problem that they have at school. And it turns out that basically all it is, is this child is exceptionally intelligent. Basically. And he's got so much going on in his head, he just can't sit still. And because the syllabus is too boring, he's like, I ain't got time for this. Let me do something else that's going to keep me occupied. And so, I've talked to the parents and explained to them that your son is intelligent and he's, this is the reason he's doing what he's doing. I understand it, you understand it. The school can't get their head around it, because, and then without going into the politics, can't get their head around it. So I said, what you need to do, is you need to understand that your child is in a country where he's misunderstood. And so you have to train him to be able to handle his situation in school. You have to train him. So when he comes into school, he can conform to what the system is in place for him to... Because what will happen is he won't finish his education. So it's either you're going to hold on to your values and you're going to hold on to this, that and the other and they shouldn't treat my son like this and he'll get kicked out of school or you can see beyond that and see that he needs to just settle down, figure it out, conform to so and so, get his education and then go and do what he wants to do. But I said, you've got to love your son, and that's the key. You've got to love your son and understand what it really means to love him. And it's not to just tell him he needs to punch somebody that punches him back. That's not actually going to help him. Well, today in the world, what are we doing? We are telling each other, you've hurt me, so I'm going to punch you back. And so our children, they start off young, learning what it is to love, when they're two, three Four. Then they get to five, and something's not quite right. Six. They're getting. Up, their eyes are opening. Seven. They start to get hurt. Eight, nine, ten, into their teens, and then they. There's so much hurt there, for them to get their head around it. They need more love, not less. So you and I now, who are 21, 21. <laughs> We've been hurt so much over so many years that we find it hard to love. And so we end up hurting each other. And so why don't we want to love our neighbor? Because we've been hurt. Why do we struggle? Because we're carrying a lot of baggage around. And that's why he says... The Father has lavished love on us. He's lavished it on us so that we can lavish it on other people. But we ourselves have to be trained to do exactly the same thing. Love requires change. You know, and in 1 Corinthians, if you want to turn there, this is the reason why the, I think that the, the excuses that man gives, it's all about not knowing God. It's not that we can't love, it's just that we're not, we're not prepared to seek God, we're not prepared to do things God's way. But this is, this is actually the right way to live if we were to do this. If the world was to do this, you would see why the world would be a nicer place. In 1 Corinthians, <clears throat> I've lost my place now. I did write it down. But anyway, I know it's 1 Corinthians 13, but I'm looking for my, my bit of paper. But it's 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. That is weird. You know, sometimes when you're writing a sermon, you think you've put in a, a scripture. I know what the scripture is, but it's not, <laughs> I haven't put it in here for some reason. But anyway, it's 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. And it reads, it says... Um, Love is patient. Imagine if people were patient. You go to the kiosk or you go to the shop or you go to talk to somebody and they're going to give you the time of day. Love is kind. Imagine if people were just kind to one another. It doesn't envy. Isn't that where a lot of the problem comes from? People are envying what the other person has. Countries are envying What each other have, and they want this, and they want that. It says it does not boast, but how often are we boasting and bragging about what we have? It isn't proud. The thing about pride, you can't see it. Someone has to show you. Isn't that amazing? I was once—I was told—I was so proud I had a chip on both shoulders. And it's the Bible that sort of helped me to see what I'm really like. But you know, isn't it amazing that pride, you can't see it, someone has to tell you? But if you don't trust people and someone says, they won't tell you necessarily that you're proud, but they're saying, well, the reason you're not agreeing with this is because of this, this, that. They're really trying to tell you that you're proud and you've got your own opinions, you're not really listening. But really, isn't that one of the things that really stops us? Then it goes on and it says, it is not rude. How many times do you hear of someone being rude? How often are we rude? It is not self-seeking. Well, that's a big one. Isn't that one of the major problems today? That people are self-seeking, looking after themselves? It is not easily angered. Well, I don't know about you, but I see a lot of anger. I feel the vibes. But there's a lot of anger in the world. Here's one. It keeps no records of wrongs. Imagine to be, being able to forgive and not bring it up. Well, I remember when you so and so, I remember the time when, and I remember when, and I remember this, and I remember that. And even if you don't say it, but your interactions are a resentment because of something that happened, keeping record of wrongs. How often do we have that going on? It says, love does not delight in evil. How often would we smile or be glad that this has happened to that person, or that person, or this person? You know, I remember my brother um, found out that his wife was, not his, not his second wife, who he's married to now, but his first wife. He found out that his wife was cheating on him. And he'd come home, he was hard working, he was a manager, and uh, he came home anyway one day and... Uh, His wife was in the bathroom and so and so and so, and she must have left some things on the table. Anyway, the drawer was slightly open, the the drawer where you keep your things. And there was a letter. Anyway, he noticed the letter and the name on the, it, it looked like something, it must have said something like, you know, to a wonderful so and so. But it made him consider, that's not my handwriting and that's to my wife. So he looked at it and he confronted her and she said no but anyway later on he found out a few weeks later because he kept on checking and he found out that she was seeing somebody what's crazy is the person she was seeing was in prison so the person had obviously gone to prison and she was still keeping the contact anyway I remember how he felt and he turned to drink and uh, he messed his stomach up with too much alcohol in the end uh, he's doing better now but he messed his stomach. He's definitely messed his stomach up but he couldn't really handle the, the way that he was being treated. And he turned to drink. Didn't turn to God, he turned to drink. How often do people turn to something else except God? Turn to something else except God. Anything but God. And yet, the creator of the universe, we're not talking about just the earth, the creator of the universe. The creator of all things that made us and we don't want to turn to him. We don't want to spend any time with him. We don't want to talk to him, but we want to do our own thing. And we look at the scriptures here and it talks about, you know, love keeping no records of wrongs. Love not delighting in evil. And yet, it says, but it rejoices in the truth. But how can you rejoice with the truth if you're not accepting the truth? How can you rejoice in the truth if you're not accepting the truth? So you can't really know what deep joy really is if you're not accepting the truth. You can you, you can understand joy, and you can have a depth of joy, but you can't really know the depth of joy, I think, that I'm talking about, unless you go through it and understand it. You know, the other day, I was... Um, I went to the doctors and uh, I, th- I felt a, sho- a, a, a pain on my shoulder. And it had been bothering me last year. Anyway, I was doing my exercises and blah, 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 as I usually do. And uh, this particular pain wouldn't go away. Anyway, I went to the doctors and um, he, said, um, he said, oh, it's nothing, it's probably just a, bit, a little bit of a pulled muscle or something. So take some inflammatory tablets and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I took it and it eased it for a bit. But after a couple of months, it came back and it was still there. And I thought, nah, something's not quite right here. And then I remembered my dad having a problem with his shoulder. And I thought, I wonder if it's something else. I wonder if it's what my dad had. So anyway, they say when you get to 40, I think it's over 40 or 50, you should have tests, prostate checked, and everything. Anyway, so I went to to the doctors and I thought, I'm quite fit anyway, so it's probably not that, but just in case. Anyway, he tested me and he said, oh, there's something unusual here. So he said we'll have to test you again. So I don't. I was, That's fine. No worries. So anyway, he did a blood test and my PSA. Well, I won't go into all that. But basically, he, something was abnormal. So then he says, oh, you've got to go to the hospital and then you know we'll give you a biopsy and check it out. You see. So anyway, went to the <laughs> did the biopsy, which was quite painful. But anyway, um, afterwards it, I felt I was on, on well for two weeks and I thought now something's definitely wrong because normally if something's wrong. You know, you go to the hospital or something like that and you're fine. But because I was sick after it for two weeks, I was like, nah, something's not right here. Anyway, went back to the doctors and the doctors said, uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Baker, but, you know, you need to um, see your consultant. So I went and saw the consultant and he said to me, um, got bad news for you. So I said, what is it? And he said, you got prostate cancer because um, the, all the biopsy things that have come out, the, the, the cancer's all over your prostate, I said, well, that's cool, that's no problem. I'm not sure he thought I was a nutcase or something. But anyway, I said to him, yeah, that's fine. So, um, so he said, you understand that the prostate is there. I said, yeah, that's cool, no worries. So anyway, um, he explained to me, you know, I need to come back and do some more tests and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, we did some more tests. And, uh, me and my wife went last week. And I was thinking in my head, okay, well, I looked on the internet and I thought, well, they can cut out the prostate or they can give you this, that, and the other, and it will be fine. So, carry on, and then anyway, we, work, we go to the, to the consultant, and, and, and we're in there, and he says, bad news, Mr. Baker, again. So, I'm like, I told Kay, I'm sure it's travelled or something, you know. So, anyway, then he says, I'm afraid, bad news, the cancer's gone into your bones. So, I said, he says, yeah, so he says, it's inoperable. So, um, he says, uh, so I said, inoperable, he said, yeah, yeah, he said, so he said, it's gone into your bones, and it's all around, and, you know, there's nothing they can actually do about it. Then what they can do is, you know, they can stop the pain. And you, they'll probably be able to, you know, shrink it a bit, but they can't actually get rid of it. So I said, oh, okay, well, then that's cool. So how long have I got then? He said, and then so he told me about 18 months or something, and I thought, okay, well, cool. So anyway, we went away, and okay, we was talking about it, and we cried, and, you know, the usual things that you do when you get some bad news. And, um, and so we talked it through, and we said, well, that's fine. God knows what he's doing. But I really cried when I told my son. Because it was difficult to tell Jordan, because he's so young. And I was like, goodness me, how do you tell your son you're going to die, man? So anyway, I told him anyway, and we, we handled it. I went up to London and told my, my, my son, Daniel, and he handled it quite well as well. So, we went through it, and I, we carried on praying, and we have carried on talking about it. And It's a tough time, but we, we've carried on talking about it. But the thing that it showed me was why you have to be rooted in God. Because I was actually fine with it, because all we talk about is we're going to go to heaven anyway. So for me it was just confirming that the word of God is true. And every man is a liar. You see, if the world is telling you, grab your house and grab your car and grab your this and grab your that, they're lying to you. Those things are good, but that is not the meaning of life. The meaning of life is having a relationship with God. Because then when you get bad news, you can handle it, because you know God is in control and not you. Now, I could live for ten years, but that's up to God, that's not actually up to me, that's up to God. I'm fine with it either way. The main thing is, God has got to be number one in your life, and the proof is in the pudding. Why do I say that? Because you see, at the beginning I said to you, have you ever felt discouraged? Didn't know where to turn, nagging doubts and could have, could have, should have, would have. I look back on my life and I don't say I wish I had this and done. I'm not thinking like that at all. I am very glad I'm a disciple of Jesus. Thank you very much. I am very glad that the decisions I've made have been godly decisions. My conscience is clear because I confess my sins and I'm praising God let me encourage you to continue to confess your sins and keep a clear conscience and when people ask you to do things that go against your conscience don't do it you know 10 years ago I was in a pop band called Angry Mexican DJs don't ask me where they got the name and uh, anyway we signed a recording deal to Skink Records, which is um, Fatboy Slim label. And uh, we did the, the single. The single went out and it did quite well. And then we did a, a couple more singles. Anyway, they liked my voice and they said, we want to do an album with you and, and so on. So anyway, I did, did the album with them. But during recording the album, it was at a time when, if you remember 10 years ago, 12 years ago, some of the music that started to come out was all swear words on the actual tracks. And so they were trying to hype it up as though this is the coolest thing now. Let's swear on our tracks. So anyway, they came to me and they said, Warner, we want want you to put your vocals on these tracks. I said, no, thank you. And what do you mean? Because we've got to finish the album. I said, "I'm I'm not swearing on any tracks, thank you very much. Can you imagine my kids seeing me on TV swearing and I'm calling myself a Christian? I said, are you mad? So anyway, they weren't very happy with me. And in the end, they sacked me. But my conscience was clear. Because you see, where are they now? Have you heard of angry Mexican DJs? (laughs) Do you see what I'm saying? So, what we have to understand is that at the end of the day, it's about God. It's not about us, per se, and what I'm talking about is the self-seeking And putting ourselves on the throne instead of God. It's about God. God exists and he's shown it through his love that he's lavished on us. We know God exists. People deny it because love requires change. People don't want to change. Because they're set in their ways. But here's the good news. There are people out there that do want to change. And they need us to come and talk to them. The same way George just mentioned about reaching out to his neighbor. That's what we need to do. We need to pour it out. So that when we're out and about on the the buses. In our workplace. Whether we're walking the streets. Whether we're talking with each other. Whether we're going to the cinema. Whatever we're doing. We should be doing this. Using the opportunities to let people know that God exists. You know our time is not our time, it's God's time. Cancer, you can die of anything. You can get knocked over on the street. The question is still the same, are you close to God? Because if without God, whether you live 50 years or not, I'm sorry, but I don't want to live 50 years without God. I will live one year and die and be with God and I'm a happy man. But I don't want to live 50 years knowing that I'm not with God. That don't make no logical sense to me. So, what I want us to understand, if anything, is one thing God loves us so much that it is natural that He requires us to love Him back. Because love is a good thing. When you are loved, don't tell me you turn around and say, I hate you for loving me. Don't tell me you'd say to someone, I don't like your love. We love to be loved. It's just that we know that love requires change and we don't want to give back. But give it to me please, but I don't want to change. Let me encourage you. Learn to love. Learn to love. Because as we love, we glorify God. As we love, the world will change. As we love, other people will love. And we'll live a life eternal. Amen.